Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. We're in a series about the life of Christ. We started with his baptism about eight weeks ago, and now we're getting up to uh, the end. And we're focusing specifically on one character, and that's why we're calling it the Pilot Chronicles. So, uh, last week we talked about Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem with this great fanfare. We call it Palm Sunday, which is technically celebrated today. And so Jesus is at the, at, at the epitome of his popularity. And he rides in on a donkey as uh, uh, some royalty or king would do. And the Pharisees, religious leaders, have been trying to get rid of Jesus for years. And this is their testimony about Jesus at this point in his ministry. Pick, picking up in John chapter 12. We're going to cover a lot of, of uh, scripture from the four gospels this morning. Trying to piece this story together. So beginning in John chapter 12. This is what the Pharisees said to each other. There we go. <laughs> There's nothing we can do. They've tried and they tried to trick Jesus into saying something they could, the crowd would stop following. Everyone has gone after him. Of course, that's an exaggeration, but it kind of felt like that. So it, you would think at this point they might have given up. They figured that they had lost this battle with Jesus. But as we're going to find out that they hadn't. And so the last two weeks we've been looking at the last hours of Jesus' life when he meets in the upper room with his disciples and he, he gave them two instructions, two, two big changes. We're talking about new things. One was a new covenant, meaning the way that, that people can relate to God is going to change. Uh, Old Testament way, the old covenant was, we called it bilateral. God would do some things if you would do some things. If you do some things, God would do some things. Jesus said, no, that's going to change. The new covenant is all going to be on me. It's all going to be one-sided. I'm going to do it all. You just have to believe or receive it. So that's the new covenant. Then he talked about a new commandment. We're going to relate to each other differently. Uh, you're supposed to love God and love other, each other. But here's the, the, the new caveat is this. As I have loved you, you're going to love each other. And in fact, this is going to be the way that people are going to know that you're a Jesus follower. Not because you go to church or anything else, but because of the way that you love. Now, as we go through this story, there's going to be all kinds of details. Which, if you thought about it, how do we know this? Because we're going to see at the beginning, the disciples take off. So, it's mostly the, the Romans and the religious leaders that the, in these texts we're going to read this morning. So how do we know about it? Well, if you read Acts, which is the next book after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus, it's about the early church. And in there it talks about many of the Pharisees became Jesus followers. Now, they weren't Jesus followers on, uh, on Passover. Uh, they weren't Jesus followers because of his teachings. They weren't Jesus followers because of his miracles. But what must have happened to change these Pharisees into people trying to kill Jesus to be in Jesus followers. Well, stu stu tune in next week. Uh, we'll give you the answer. There's only one thing that would change those people's minds. And if you're not a Jesus follower, if you're not believing all the, the resurrection stuff, this is proof. Because what other proof there would there be that Jesus was who he said he was? So Jesus has this last supper with his disciples and Passover is a big celebration. Jesus started talking about blood and give, shedding his blood. So something was up, but Jesus wasn't up. Jesus was disturbed. Jesus was upset. And in, somewhere in there, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, one he poured his life into for three and a half years, takes off. Disciples don't know what's going on. I think Jesus pretty much knew. 
And so before Judas gets back, he takes the disciples out to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. And it's pretty significant. Olive trees are probably pressed olives there to make olive oil. And Jesus leaves his disciples in one spot. He says, pray. You pray for me. I'm going over here and pray. And he prays. And he prays this prayer to, to God. He said, God, Father God, please, is there any way that I could be spared this pain, this torture, this death? But then he ends his prayer, which is really important, which you and I need to do when we pray is, but not what I want, not my will, but what you want, because you're God, <laughs> you're a loving God, all wise God, and so you know what's best. So I don't want to do this, but if this is what's best, if there's some other way, I'm not going to do it, but this is what's best, I'm your servant, I'm willing. So, this is true of us too. Some things are more important than avoiding pain, isn't it? Uh, ladies who have children, I have that personal experience, but uh, some things are more important than, than avoiding pain, right? Some things are even more important than avoiding death. And we have soldiers and policemen and firefighters and other folks. Something is more important than avoiding death. And so Jesus takes that position. Your will, God, not mine. If it involves suffering, I'm willing. If it involves death, I'm willing. And then Judas shows up with the soldiers. I don't know why. This is, I don't know if it bugs you or bugs me. The way he's going to point out Jesus to the soldiers is he's going to give him a kiss, a sign of endearment. And he does. He kisses him. Why didn't he just point him out? Why does he have to betray him with a kiss? But that's what he does. And then we're going to pick up the story in uh, Mark chapter 14. Uh, after soldiers come and to arrest Jesus, all his disciples deserted him and ran away. So how many Jesus followers we got at this point? Zero. They're all gone. Jesus is left all alone. <clears throat> He's put his life into these 12 or 11, all 12, but one had deserted him, betrayed him. And they all left him. Now, we can understand that. If police broke in here to try and arrest us, if we could run away, we probably would, right? So they took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, these guys that had been trying to get him, had gathered. And they weren't all friends, but they all had a common enemy of Jesus, so they had gathered together. Now, they couldn't get to Jesus before because the crowd was around him, and he was popular, and, and uh, they were outnumbered. But now, they had the numbers on their side. Jesus is all by himself. So the next, next uh, part of the text says this. Inside the, the leading priest's home, the entire high council was trying to find evidence against Jesus. The high council of the Sanhedrin was made up of 71 people. So there's at least 71 to 1. That's the odds now. And so they're emboldened in front of Jesus. They're not afraid of him. Uh, they are on the offensive. And they're looking for evidence. So they're trying to make it look at least legitimate. Correct? So they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. Of course they couldn't find any, right? Jesus was perfect. He hadn't done anything they could be accused of. I don't know. I guess they didn't plan ahead. Because if they planned ahead, they could have got the false witnesses to collaborate this, their stories, but they didn't, and so they contradicted each other, so they couldn't get enough evidence to convict Jesus. So then the high priest, he's getting 
frustrated, I believe, at this point, stood up, <clears throat> stood up before the others and asked Jesus, aren't you going to answer these charges? Now, the charges were that he was inciting the people to, uh, to riot. That was the charge. It was a political uh, argument. And, of course, what do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent, made no reply, because he hadn't done anything. He was innocent, so I say anything. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah? Now we're switching over to a religious argument, right? Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Now how's Jesus going to answer this question? Well, how, what's the only way to answer the question? Well, <laughs> yes, I am. That, that, that's who I am. So, of course, this really upset the high priest. He tore his clothes. Uh, we don't need any other witnesses. We have his sworn testimony. He admits it. You've all heard his blasphemy. Now, to admit that you're God would be blasphemy in their theology. So, he asks, what is your verdict? He's already admitted it. So, the verdict is what? Obviously, guilty. And it's a little strange to us, but the penalty for blasphemy could be execution. Now, in the first century, they weren't carrying out these laws anymore. They weren't killing adulterers, and they weren't killing teenagers that fussed at their parents, and they weren't killing uh, blasphemers. But technically, that's what the law said. And then we get to some of the gross stuff that we don't think about at this, this stage of the story, but they were spitting at him, blindfolded him, beat him, said, prophesy to us, if you're the Messiah, come and tell us what's going to happen in the future. They were jeering and the guards, the temple guards were there. They slapped him as they took him away. So where are they going to take him? So the high council has pronounced him guilty of blasphemy. So could the high council execute Jesus? No. <laughs> he didn't have that authority. didn't have that power. So early in the morning, this has happened in the middle of the night, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council... 71 plus people meet to discuss their next step. Okay, so we've, he's admitted it. We've proclaimed him guilty. Now what can we do? We can't, he, we want to kill him, but we can't kill him. What's the next step, step in their plan? So they bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Why? Because he had the authority to execute people. Uh, the text goes on. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended. Actually, this is another gospel writer, so he's repeating it. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate their Passover. The Passover was coming the next day, the evening of the next day. They had all these rules about being clean and unclean. And one of the rules was, if you a Jew went into a non-Jew's house, we call it Gentile, most of us, uh, it would defile you. You'd get their cooties, so to speak, right? And so you'd have to go through this long process of getting decootified. Is that a word? <laughs> and consequently, it took more than one day. So if they went into the house, they would miss Passover. And we said last week, this is the holiday of all holidays to a Jew. So they weren't going inside, which is interesting because they had no input. They didn't know what's going to happen inside exchange between Pilate and Jesus, right? It goes on. 
So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what is your charge against this man? Again, it's the middle of the night. I'm surprised that Pilate even comes out. But he is a politician. He's trying to keep, you know, problems from happening. And so he asked, what's the charges? Now, it's a little funny. They don't tell him. Why? Because to the Romans, this was not a charge that they would even care about, right? So they just say vaguely, well, we wouldn't have brought him to you if he hadn't had done something wrong, right? He's a criminal. Now, Pilate had been the governor in uh, this area of Judea for seven years at this point. He hated Jerusalem. He hated the Jews. He lived on the coast most of the year. Uh, he would be in Jerusalem now because of the Passover and, and try and keep things under control because that was part of his job. <clears throat> and so that's why, why he's there. Uh, passage goes on. Then he took him away. He's, he's, no, he says to them, okay, if you're not going to tell me what the charges are, you, you'd handle it. You take care of it. Uh, take him away and judge him by, by your own law. Here's their response. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, i.e., we want you to kill this guy. The leaders replied. Now, Pilate's in control. Control is a big part of this story. Pilate's in control here now, right? The religious leaders want him to kill Jesus. They don't have that power, but Pilate has that power. So he's in control. Now you realize who's in control here. The Romans are, and you are subjects. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. So now Pilate's in the house. The religious leaders are outside and Jesus goes into the house. Now Jesus didn't have any option about this, but Jesus did this all the time. Kind of drove the religious leaders crazy because he would do things that they say, oh, that would make you unclean and didn't bother Jesus at all. Jesus hung out with all kinds of people. And so Jesus is inside uh, Pilate's house with him. And I'm assuming... Some folks were there that later became Jesus followers. That's how we know, that, know what happened. So, are you the king of the Jews? He asked Jesus. Jesus says, okay, wait a minute. Where are you getting this question? Is this your own question or do some others tell, this, tell you about me? <clears throat> Again, Jesus had no reservations of going into this house he didn't think it would make him unclean. Text goes on. Pilate says, am I a Jew? Your own people and the leading priests brought you for trial. Why? What have you done? So, again, are you a king? So Jesus answers his question. He says, has the, my kingdom, if you have a kingdom that makes you a what? Okay. So, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Ah, oh, if I'm Pilate, okay, no big deal, no problem. If it were, my followers would have fought to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world, he reiterates. All Pilate heard is, oh, so you're king. Now this is this upside down kingdom we've been talking about, where, where the king serves the, serves the subjects instead of vice versa, and the other things we've, we've shared. So Pilate turns to the leading priests, Back outside into the crowd and says, I don't find anything wrong with this guy. Well, he claims to be a king of some invisible kingdom. Nothing wrong with the man. This is going to be a theme that's going to be repeated. Then they became insistent. 
But he's causing riots by his teaching wherever he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. And then Pilate says, Galilee? I'm not governor of Galilee. Herod is. This is Herod's problem. This is Herod's business. Now, Herod was the, the son of the Herod that, that had rebuilt the temple we talked about. He was also the Herod that had killed all those babies when Jesus was a baby. Uh, this is his son. And so, uh, sends him to Herod. Herod, kind of fascinated by this guy. He's pretty popular. He probably heard about him, probably hadn't met him. He kind of gets asked him to do kind of like parlor tricks for him, and Jesus, of course, won't do it. He gets a little frustrated with him, so he sends him back to Pilate, okay? <laughs> so the uh, story picks up in next verse. You brought this man to me. Again, Jesus is back with Pilate, accusing him of leading a revolt. I've examined him at this point of presence and find him again. He's innocent. There's, he hasn't done anything. What are you doing here? In fact, then he says, Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. So I've decided he's innocent. Herod's decided he's innocent. What's going on here? Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. Now this, I, difficult to comprehend. He says, okay, well, maybe we'll just flog him and then you'll be satisfied and everybody will go home and I'll release him to you. Now, the problem with that is flogging is not a little thing, is it? And I don't want to get into the gory details, but they have you know, strips of leather with lead and bone. Lead to bruise you, bone to cut your skin. And they lashed you and they kept track because there was a limit on how many times they could do it. You would be stretched out like this. They would lash your back, but it would wrap around and, and pull the skin out off of the front of your body also. Many people just died from flogging. So this was no minor thing. And Pilate's just saying, he's innocent, but we'll just flog him. And they released him, obviously, to be flogged. <clears throat> uh, but then the crowd, uh, mighty crowd rose from the crowd and said with one voice, kill him and release Balabas. Barabbas to us. So they weren't satisfied with just flogging. They wanted him killed. They would even let a, a terrible criminal loose. But the text goes on. It says Pilate had him flogged with a lead tip whip. Now, I don't know how you've seen the Passion of the Christ. But this is the part of the, of the movie I cannot watch. I can watch the, the nails and the hands and feet, but I can't watch this part. That's how cruel it was. That's how vicious it was. And that's what happened to Jesus. And so now Jesus' is, his skin is, is in, in shreds. He's bleeding. Um, even though he was pronounced innocent. They also did some other things. Put some crown of thorns on his head. Put a purple robe around him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked. They slapped him across the face. Now, as a Jesus follower, this is a, I, I, it causes me pain. The picture of what is happening to my, my Lord and Savior Jesus. But this is what they're doing to him. And this is what your sin and my sin required Jesus to go through. So, Pilate goes back outside again. I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly, I find him not guilty. I've just tortured him. Pretty much half killed him. So hopefully this will satisfy you. That's my interpretation. Of course, what happens? When they saw him, the leading priests, temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. This isn't enough. We want him dead, not just tortured. 
He says, take him yourself then and crucify him. I don't find him guilty. Could they crucify him? No, they didn't didn't have the authority. So, part two of the plan didn't work very well. What are you going to do now? Pretty wise. They were pretty wise, the religious leaders. By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. Now he went from being a king to being a god. Now this is a whole different ballgame. Roman rulers considered themselves gods. Now it's one thing to be a king of an invisible kingdom. It's another thing to declare yourself God. Now notice Pilate's response to this. When Pilate heard this, he was frightened, more frightened than ever. And he took Jesus back into his headquarters. Because this is a threat. This is a threat to, to, to Roman philosophy and theology, etc. So they're back inside. And Pilate's talking to Jesus. And he asked him this question. And Jesus says, nothing. Now, Pilate is surprised. Some translation says amazed. Now, why would he be amazed at this point? This innocent man, he had just tortured. Most people in that situation, what would be their response? They'd be in agony and pain. They would be probably begging for their lives. Or they might be accusing, why did you do this to me? They're defending themselves. And all I can see is Jesus being completely calm and at peace. And Pilate has seen a lot of things in his life, I'm sure. But he'd never seen anybody like this. A man that should feel subjected to me, Pilate, had the higher ground. He was literally in control of this situation. So we get this, to me, funny uh, question or statement by, or it is a question by Pilate. Won't you talk to me? Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? (laughs) I don't think Jesus laughs, but it's kind of funny to hear because we know better. And Jesus says to him, you'd have no power over me unless it was given to you from above. (laughs) You think you're in control here, but you're not. My Father God is in control. And anything that you, any power that you have is given to you from above. So then, again, Pilate, at this point, is, is afraid of this guy. He tried to release him again. But the Jewish leader shouted, If you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Now they have him. Now they have the power over Pilate. Now Pilate is stuck. They checkmated him. He, it's a catch-22. This guy is innocent, but if I release him... I could be called back to Rome. I could be executed for not being a friend of Caesar's. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. So when they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them. Okay, he's stuck. Sat down at the judgment seat on the platform that's called the stone pavement. Said to the people, look, here's your king. Their response is again, away with him, away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. Now, response is, we have no king but Caesar. Now, this is blasphemy from the mouths of the religious leaders. Because who is their king? Jehovah God, right? And for them to say this, such blasphemy out of their leading priest's mouth. 
Pilate turned to Jesus over them, not to them literally, to the Roman guards, obviously, to be crucified. So they brought Jesus to Golgotha, place of the skull. They offered him wine and myrrh. He refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. Most of us know about crucifixion. It was meant to inflict as much pain as possible. It was supposed to be a slow death. And if you read the Gospels, there's all kinds of details, seven statements of Jesus from the cross, etc., etc. But the problem was he claimed too much about himself. He claimed to be God. And so, if you're God, you can't be crucified. You can't die. And so, there was more, no more dream to keep alive. The leader is dead. There was no more movement to keep moving. Now, interesting fact about crucifixion. If you're crucified, you are not allowed to be buried. It was against the law. You were put on a trash heap. So, two guys, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a Jesus believer, follower, they came up with this plan, risked their lives, lives probably to do this. They went and asked permission to bury Jesus, probably had a bribe to get permission, and they did. So they brought uh, perfume, ointment made with myrrh and aloe, followed Jesus' burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices, long sheet, a linen cloth. Why did they do that? Because he was dead. This was the burial custom. This is what you did with dead people. So the next day, now this is fascinating to me, the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees came to Pilate and said, wait, wait a minute, this, remember this guy deceived us, deceiver, while he was still alive? I said, after three days, he's going to rise from the dead. Now, the disciples didn't seem to remember it, but the religious leaders did. And so, they requested that the seal of the tomb to the third day, this would prevent the disciples from coming and stealing the body, telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at the first because he would prove to be who he claimed to be. So, Pilate let the guards secure it the best they could, seal the tomb, and post the guards to protect it. And Pilate probably slept good that night, realizing that the rebellion or turmoil had been taken care of. But everybody, everybody expected Jesus to do what dead people do, stay dead. And the only reason we're talking about Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas is because they are footnotes in the story of this Jesus that they crucified. It looks like the end, but maybe it's not. Tune in next week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. We thank you for the life of Jesus. We thank you for his willingness to put us before himself, to put the will of the Father before his own will. God, what an example and testimony for us. And... Uh, God, we want to pray for anyone here that's not a Jesus follower, that they would understand that this Jesus was truly special. He was truly your son. He wouldn't have done, couldn't have done what he has done for us and raised from the, from the tomb. And the, many of the Pharisees believed, not because of Jesus' teaching, because 
They saw a risen Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.